Bongani Bingwa. Bongani Bingwa. Starting your 702 day. One of the stories that was really very interesting to me last week uh, follows from a conversation I heard Bruce Whitfield have uh, with uh, uh, Andrew Levy. He, of course, uh, uh, um, a uh, human capital expert. Uh, it was all about how or what rather South Africans can learn from striking Japanese bus drivers. And the story was about a group of these drivers in Japan who are on strike. They're continuing to work and driving the buses, but were refusing to accept money from passengers. And the idea was to... Uh, you know, deal with the employer with whom they were unhappy uh, and not at the same time inconveniencing the passengers. And of course, it was particularly noteworthy because, as you may know, South Africa has been facing a national bus strike for a number of weeks now, and that strike is set to continue. In fact, it's continuing because there's been no agreement yet. Of course, uh, the story missed a little bit of detail in the sense uh, that uh, it now understood that some of those drivers had a share in the business, which is why they were allowed to have access to the vehicles uh, and not face much censure. So it's a complicated story, but it seems that it's not quite as simple as uh, making a direct comparison with what was happening in South Africa. But it was interesting nonetheless and noteworthy uh, because we're facing that problem. But I, I want to read to you something that is from the online publication Ground Up, and it's a story that was written by Tariro Washinera, who wrote about Sipo, who's a 45-year-old and long-haul bus driver. And Sipo drives on the Johannesburg, Peter Maritzburg, and Mtata route, and he's been doing this for over 10 years. And he's joined the bus strike. Sipo says he earns around 10,000 rand a month. He's a father of four. And he's struggling to pay school fees for his two children. In fact, he's had to withdraw his two older children from a tertiary institution because he can't cover their costs. His wife is unemployed. He says he doesn't get to spend much time with his family in Mtata. He says sometimes he arrives in Johannesburg in the morning and then he gets a call, uh, you know, on that same day that he has to work. And he doesn't, he doesn't always have time to plan for a day, for his day. He doesn't even know uh, necessarily where uh, the company is uh, going to accommodate him on some of these overnight trips. And quite often, he's on duty even when he's meant to be off. So he says there isn't a proper roster. He doesn't know ahead of time whether or not he'll be working. But here's the here's the nub of it for many of these bus drivers. The employer only pays for the hours that he actually drives the bus. So his shift might start at 6 a.m., which includes inspecting and loading the bus and helping check in the passengers. But he doesn't get paid for that time, only when the ignition actually goes on and he is driving. And of course, uh, he may, at the end of the journey's end, help with offloading, picking up litter, attending to passengers. And this can take a number of hours as well. And that time he doesn't get compensated for. The other thing is that there are often more than one driver on these trips. So obviously to make sure they're not fatigued, uh, when he's not behind the wheel, he's not getting paid, but he is at work. And so that's what some of uh, the gripe around this bus strike is about. Um, he says he was looking forward to negotiations. Uh, they're hoping that the employers will agree to a 10% increase, but it's not just about the money they want to make clear. They want to make sure that people understand it's also about their working conditions. And you've got to ask yourself a question around how much longer our economy is going to continue to be structured around the idea that people, workers, 
are dispensable, that there's a long line of people who can easily take up these jobs because they are low-skilled jobs. Um, they're not specialized skills that are required. And it's something that you're seeing in this instance with the bus drivers, but certainly it crops up its ugly head even with the miners. The accusations that we're hearing this morning is that there were specific warnings about that seismic event that took place. There were tremors, it's now alleged. And these workers were cannon fodder. Basically, if you read the headline in the Star today, it says they were sent to their deaths. And what do both stories, what do both situations have in common? This is cheap labor. These are not people. They are numbers. And the longer our economy continues to function along those lines, the more we are in danger of losing everything we have. Because when inequality persists, there will be a tipping point. We've all got to be careful. We all better beware.